This morning, let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, even though the passage of Scripture that I'm going to read will be on the overhead, I'm going to be making some references to other verses in chapter 7 that will not be on the overhead. This is a second part of a message that um, I brought um, three weeks ago. You remember uh, we had Baptist Men's Day and then last week Corey Wall preached. Folks, I, I can truthfully tell you, I don't know that I've preached many other sermons since I've been at the church that I've had a greater burden for the truth to be spoken through me and from the Word of God. And I'm burdened not only about our church, but I'm burdened about churches in our country. I believe that we are headed into some very serious times for the Christian church. I, I'm not trying to stand here and prophesy. I think uh, as the Apostle Paul warned the people in the church at Ephesus after his departure that there would be people who would come in and try and disrupt the church from the outside and also from the inside. There's a world that does not want to hear about this Jesus. And I think that there's, there's, there's just there's evidence of that everywhere we go right now. And folks, sometimes I believe, though, the greatest enemy and the place that Satan is going to try and work is going to be within the body of Christ, where we lose our vision, where we lose our desire to serve this risen Lord, where we just simply become apathetic if the church keeps opening its doors and paying its bills and we have a, a, an entertaining sermon, then everything will be okay. Folks, we don't want, I don't want us to become an average Baptist church because an average Baptist church right now is headed in the wrong direction. And that's not a criticism. That's just simply a statement of fact, I believe. Folks, we must get revival. And I'm not talking about the meeting that we're going to have next month when Joel Bratcher comes. There must be a, a new awakening of the Spirit of God within our midst, within our hearts as individuals and then as members of this church. So p please hear me from my heart. Please don't look back at the clock today because I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to try and get through this message that I feel that God has given to me to share with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not preaching to you as much as I'm preaching to myself. And believe me, I've gone over this sermon several times yesterday and this morning. I'm burdened. So let's pray. We'll read the Word of God. Father, help us to follow you faithfully. God is so easy to become comfortable in what we aren't doing. And it's so easy to become comfortable in watching other people serve you while we become spectators. But God, I pray that none of us would become spectators in the work and ministry of this church. I pray, Father, that we would see that as you have called us to be a member of this body, you've also given us gifts to be used for the work of the kingdom of God within this body. And so, Father, today, as we look back in the Old Testament, as we find out a time in which you spoke to Solomon and to the nation of Israel about what would bring revival, God, hear us, help us to hear these words again. And, oh, God, revive us as individual Christians, but most especially, Lord, revive us as a church. God, I thank you for every member of this body of believers. 
And Lord, I just pray that we would love you first. We would love one another. We would work together for your honor and your glory and not for ours. Father, may the Spirit of God lead us in all that is said and done in these moments. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Follow with me as I read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 22. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. Remember in chapter 6, three weeks ago, we went over the prayer that Solomon lifted up to the Lord, dedicating the temple, dedicating the people, asking God's blessing, asking God to lead them even when they sinned, that they would return again to him. I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And folks, we need to stop and point out God will judge his people for their sin, most especially in the household of God. And God expects you and I as his children to faithfully obey him and serve him. And you remember in chapter 6, Solomon had enough wisdom about him to know that all of us are sinners and all of us will sin. And he prayed that when the people of Israel sinned, that they would turn back to God and God would again use them. So listen to what God says in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name... Folks, listen, he's not talking to the lost, heathen, pagan people. He's talking to the household of God. And God says, if my people who are called by my name, and he says four things, four things that will lead to revival. If they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. You know, I realize that when we pray here, God's listening. Wherever we are as we pray, God is listening, but most especially in his house. Verse 16, for now I have chosen and consecrated this house. And folks, I want to point something out. I believe where it says this house, we could put in Teresa Baptist Church. So let me do that. For now I have chosen and consecrated Teresa Baptist Church that my name may be there forever, forever until Jesus Christ comes back again, that this place would be a place of worship and a place where the Word of God is given out and shared. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk, he's speaking to Solomon, but he's also speaking to the nation. If you walk before me as David your father walked, during according to all that I've commanded you, keeping my statutes and my ordinance, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, There shall not fail you a man to rule Israel, but if you turn aside. Now, folks, listen to this. Listen to what God speaks to the nation of Israel. If you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, verse 20, then I will pluck you up from the land I have given you and this house 
which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done done this to the land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, they laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this evil on them. And folks, I want to point out, it's a very simple message here. Disobedience brings God's judgment on churches, on his people, and on nations. I believe that we are right on the the edge of judgment falling upon the United States. I don't say that insincerely or lightly, folks. And we need to wake up. If our God judged his own people back in the Old Testament, he'll do it now. But God will bless his people if they are obedient to him. And the rest of the Old Testament just just shows this time after time. Let me get back on point, okay? For many years since being in seminary in, in the middle 70s, there was a book entitled To Dream Again, and it was written by a church growth specialist. I believe, if I remember right, Roger Dale, I believe was his name. But he made a statement and gave statistics in that book that has burdened me for many, many years. He writes that many churches, after they reach the age of 50, they begin to either plateau where there is no growth or they decline possibly on their way to closing their doors. You and I realize that in May this church will be 80 years old. And if we fit the statistics, if we become an average Baptist church, then we're going to begin to plateau, that is to have no new growth, or we're going to begin to decline. Recently on the radio, I heard one of the ministers say that over 70% of the churches in the United States are either plateaued or declined. Folks, we need revival. We need the new activity of the Spirit of God. We need new growth and discipleship of believers, you and I as church members. And folks, when there's new activity of the Holy Spirit of God, when there is discipleship among believers, then it will result in evangelism. More and more people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior as they see Christ living in not only this church, but in my life and in your life. Folks, we need revival in our hearts. We need revival in our churches. We need revival in our country and in the world. You already know all of this, and I know it. But folks, I want to tell you something. Now is not the time for you and I to become apathetic and stop caring. You and I must not stop trusting God to work in us and through us. Folks, we need to look at each day as an opportunity that God wants to do something in us and something through us and also for the church of Jesus Christ. Folks, we must understand that our God is alive and He is well. Praise be to His name. He is not dead. And secondly, our Savior is the soon returning Lord. And we so often, and I'm I'm speaking from my own experience, 
He has already conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell. The victory has already been won. And we're just waiting for him to come back and take us to heaven. But during that time, he wants us to be busy. And God's Spirit is still being poured out on churches and on people and on nations that will turn to him. And folks, I don't believe that God ever intended that his church and his people would plateau or decline. And I want to remind you again, we read this verse three weeks ago in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. As Paul and Silas are preaching in the town of Thessalonica. And there are groups that are beginning to turn against Paul and Silas and not wanting to hear the gospel. And they begin to accuse Paul and Silas. And listen to what they accuse them of. These men who have turned the world upside down have come now to us. We as Christians need not to be turned upside down by the world. We need to turn the world upside down again as the early church did, as the Spirit of God lived through them. And I remind you again of what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And I want to read this out of the Living Bible. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of all that he's done for you, is this too much to ask? Now listen to verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Folks, the world, it seems, in recent decades is changing the church rather than the church changing the world. Folks, we need revival. So how can you and I have revival in our hearts, in this church, and in our nation? Well, listen to what God says in verse 14. And I want to point out again, this is according to what God says. Mackenzie, if you go to that next slide, please, okay? Four keys to revival in verse 14. And folks, anybody can stand up here and preach this. It's just so simple. It's just laid out. And folks, I remind you again that it is God himself who says these things to Solomon and to the nation of Israel. If they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways. And I want us to look at those four things in just a moment, very quickly and very briefly. But before we do that, let me, let me just get you to go back and look at the first ten verses in chapter 7. And I'm going to go through these quickly. Chapter 6 Solomon prays. He has ended his prayer, and then look what happens in verse 1. After Solomon ends his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Folks, I'm not expecting fire to fall from heaven on this place, but we need to have the glory of the Lord filling not only this building, but filling our hearts and filling our lives as believers. His glory, not ours. And folks, it was so great that in verse 2, the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And folks, there's two things I want to point out. Even the holiest of men the ones that were looked upon as being the closest to God, the, the glory of God so filled the house of worship that they could not enter the temple. But folks, listen to what the writer says. It filled the Lord's house. 
Folks, whose house is this? It is not my church or your church, but this is the church of the living Lord. And so often we forget that, don't we? And I've asked God to forgive me when I've acted like this is my church because it is not. None of us died on the cross and shed our blood for this church. He is the head of the church, but thanks be to God that he has called us into this body of believers. And in verse 3, in response to all that had happened, the children of Israel, they fell down on their faces. They worshiped God. They gave thanks to the Lord, acknowledging his steadfast love. In verse 4, Solomon and all of the people, all of the people offered sacrifices, all got involved. And again, folks, it burdens me. This is not a critical statement. There's a joy in serving Jesus Christ. And when you get involved in the full ministry of the church and doing something for the Lord, there is a greater joy than I can ever express to you. And you'll think I'm lying, but sometimes I feel like I needed to pay you for letting me enjoy the privilege of being the pastor of this church. There have been some times when I wish, never mind, I won't go there either, all right? Folks, in verse 5, the temple is dedicated to God. In verses 6 and 7, the people stand in reverence to God. And folks, did you read, if you read this passage of Scripture, how many oxen and sheep they offered? And folks, that was a way of showing their gratitude for God. They offered 22,000 oxen. They offered 120,000 sheep. Folks, the altar was so full that it could not hold all these things that the people had brought to offer to God as expressions of thanksgiving for Him. Sometimes we gripe and complain about what's asked of us, don't we? But these people freely gave to God. And in verse 8, a mass congregation has met to worship. And folks, in verse 9, it really kind of tickles me how long did this worship celebration last? Verse 9 tells us that when they dedicated the altar, that lasted seven days. Then for seven days they celebrated the Feast of Shelter, which was an Old Testament uh, celebration of when God led the people out of Israel. And folks, then they closed the ceremony with a one-day solemn assembly. For 15 days the people were at the house of God, worshiping the Lord Jesus, uh, worshiping God. And listen to what verse 10 says. Joyfully and glad of heart for the goodness that the Lord had shown them, they departed and went home. Folks, let me point something out in verse 1. Just get this picture in your mind. In verse 1, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. In verse 10, they go home full of joy and gladness of heart. Please. Hear me from my heart. When you leave this place on Sunday, how do you feel? Don't Happy. Thank you, Jeanette. Happy, happy, happy. But folks, are we, are we living in a day when it's no longer a joy to serve Jesus Christ? Are we living in a day in which we think, well, the church stuff is just so boring and it's so dull and it's so ir- irrelevant to what we're doing on a day-to-day basis? Folks, these folks met with God. And that is my prayer. 
when we come here on Sundays or any other time that we come, that we meet with a living God. We're not here to be entertained by music or sermons. We hope and pray that the music and sermons are moving and helps you grow in your faith. But folks, we are here to worship God. And we leave this place joyfully and gladly to go out and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. When Verse 11, Solomon has finished the house of God in his palace. And you know, I don't know if Solomon, I really don't believe Solomon was expecting God to do this, but in verse 12, God appears to Solomon, and, and look at what verse 12 says. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, Folks, God will speak if we will listen to him. And folks, again, in the New Testament, the words of Jesus are in red if you've got one of those Bibles. But folks, let me tell you, so often we read the Old Testament and forget this is God speaking. And folks, this is God speaking not only to Solomon and to Israel, He's speaking to you and me and our church and our nation. And folks, let me point something out in this passage of Scripture. Because we are sinners, and a Christian is a saved sinner, amen? All of us are still sinners. I still struggle every single day. So there are going to be moments in which I rebel and sin against the Lord. And when that happens, he's going to send his judgment. It might not be to destroy me, but it will be a breach in my fellowship with him. And there will be a point in which I know that I need revival. And God knew, God knew that his people would continue to be rebellious. So God gives direction to Solomon and even to our day. And God says, here's four keys that when you sin and rebel against me and get out of my will, here are four keys that if you'll do them, I'll give you revival. And again, I remind you in verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, let me simply go over these four things. Number one, God says to his people, if you'll humble yourselves. Folks, I want to point something out that I'd never really realized until this three or four weeks ago. I want to tell you, I, I'm, I've been blessed so much by listening, preaching on the radio as I, as I travel around. Vernon McGee, he's dead. Adrian Rogers, he's dead. Those men preach better dead than I preach alive, and I know that. But Vernon McGee said something I'd never really realized. You know, God could humble us any time he wanted to, couldn't he? And you've probably experienced those times when he's, he's humbled us. But folks, this humility here is a voluntary humility where we bow before him and say, God, I am nothing and you are all. And folks, the greatest example of a person humbling himself is who? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Just let me read these to you. Paul writes, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Listen to this. And being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself 
and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, listen, when we humble ourselves, we are following the example of Jesus. Jesus was God, but humbled himself by becoming a man. He became one of his own creation. He came to our level. And folks, in in Philippians chapter 2, and I encourage you to go back and read these verses alone by yourself and let God speak. Listen to the marks of humility in Philippians 2. Do nothing for selfishness or conceit. Count others better than yourselves. Look to the interest of others, surrendering our minds to Christ, becoming servants to others as Jesus did, and dying to self, becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Folks, what Paul is speaking of here is you and I recognizing our spiritual poverty When we consider what God has done for us, how small our efforts and commitments seem to God and to our Savior. And that's where I was going to throw in vanity smirth. Let's be honest. Isn't most of our life about us? Folks, we're headed in a very, I think, bad direction in our country. Everything is about me. If the church of Jesus Christ becomes so centered... Self-centered. If born-again believers become so centered, self-centered, we're going to keep revival from happening in our churches. Secondly, we must pray. These are things that you already know. But Jesus again sets the example of a man who prayed. Prayer includes so much. And let me just mention several things. Prayers of praise, adoration, confession, forgiveness, acknowledging our needs, asking God's protection and spiritual strength, asking God for guidance, asking for others, their needs, and asking God to provide. And there's a prayer that I believe many of us are going to begin to pray more and more often. You remember as John closes the book of Revelation, he prays, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Because, folks, I believe there's either going to be a great revival in our world or there's going to be a great judgment and condemnation of our world. Are we holding revival back in our hearts and in our church and our nation because we are not giving God time in prayer? James says, and these, these next couple of scriptures are not on the overhead, James says you do not have because you do not ask. How many of us are willing to ask God to send revival to this church and our hearts and in our nation. Jesus said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking in the Sermon on the Mount. Would we be consistent and persistent in prayer? In Luke 18:1, Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not faint or lose heart. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7, as Paul is speaking to the church about the Lord's return, he says, pray without ceasing. Folks, are we a church that is giving ourselves to prayer? 
and asking God not only to bless us, but to bless all churches. I'm not asking God to bless Theresa Baptist Church above all others. I'm asking God to bless all churches that will not be plateaued or not declined and not average Baptist churches, but we will be churches where the fire of God is falling. There's a third thing. God says, seek my face. Seek my face. God's people must diligently turn to God with their whole heart and long for his presence. Do we want God involved in our lives? Folks, the Bible, the Old Testament, new promise, uh, the New Testament already promises that God will be present with his people. But do you and I as individuals and as his church seek his face? Is God invited into our daily lives? Is God invited into our homes? Has God been invited into this church? And young people, don't get mad with me for using this expression, but are we spiritual teenagers? And again, that's no disrespect to teens, but isn't part of being a teenager demanding that other people stay out of your lives and not tell you what to do or preach at you? Aren't we spiritual teenagers in the sense that we demand that God stay out of our lives until we are ready for him to intervene in some crisis and some misfortune? And folks, don't we all want the blessings of God without carrying our crosses for Jesus? And the fourth thing God says, they must turn from their wicked ways. Each of us as Christians and as churches need to take this command of God very serious. As God's Holy Spirit convicts us of sin as Christians, and that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit according to John 16, we must genuinely as Christians repent by turning from sins that we have allowed in our lives and any other objects that we worship. We as Christians and as churches must not conform to this world. That's Romans 12. We read it earlier. Secondly, we must not reject the word of God concerning sin. And folks, I want to tell you, if God's word says it is sin, it has not changed, okay? And this is truth. The ultimate truth is Jesus And then we look at his word for guidance. And if his word says what we're doing is sin, then we need not reject the word of God, but to repent and turn from him. And we need to understand that when we allow our personal sins to break our fellowship with God, it doesn't break our relationship, but it breaks our joy. Folks, please. Please pray for our church. All of us are sinners. And as I've told you before, and I'll say it again, the biggest sinner every Sunday that walks through these doors is a man who stands in the pulpit. Don't let sin come between us and our God. We must not ignore them. We must not allow them to become a part of our lives on a day-to-day basis because when we do, we're stopping revival from coming in our lives, in our churches, and in our world. And folks, something we need to ask ourselves as Christians, are our personal and public sins turning people away from the Lord and from this church? When people see us on a day-to-day basis, are they drawn to this church in Christ? Are they driven away from Him? And there's two final important notes that I want to point out, and I'll be finished. But I pray the Spirit of God won't. First of all, 
if and when you and I follow God's prescription for revival, if we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways, listen to what God promises in the latter part of verse 14. Listen to this. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. What could God do in this church and through this church if we sought him and asked for him to bring revival? But listen to God's warning in verses 19 to 23. And folks, if God says it, you can take it to the bank. And I want to read these words again with this understanding. This is God's warning. And again, substitute the name of the church for house. Listen to this. And he's talking to his people. If you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I've set before you this day, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from the land I've given you. If you will, hold on just a minute. I'm not trying to prolong the sermon, but next Sunday, I encourage you to read Nehemiah chapter 8. A great revival broke out in Nehemiah and Ezra's day. It was about 250 years after these events in Second Chronicles chapter 7. But let me tell you what had happened. The people had turned away from God. And just as God had forewarned them, he plucked them up out of the land of Israel. The temple was destroyed. They were taken captive in Babylon, as the prophets had said would happen for 70 years. God's mercy was so great, he brought them back. And a great revival broke out when they read and obeyed the word of God. So if God says he'll do something, he'll do it. I will pluck you up from the land which I've given you. And this house I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Can you imagine God casting Teresa Baptist Church out of his sight? I hope and pray that never happens. And we'll make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and at this house which is exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on to other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this evil upon them. Folks, do you and I need revival? Does our church need revival? Does our nation need revival? I think everyone would say absolutely yes. Well, folks, how can revival come when God's people humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways? Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for Teresa Baptist Church. I thank you, Lord, for every member. I thank you, Father, for the way that you have blessed this place, this church, and these people throughout the years. And God, 
I just pray that you will send revival. Revival in our hearts. Lord, there's so many more things that we could be doing to grow in our relationship individually with you. And there's more that we could be doing as a church and reaching out to this community to people that don't know Christ as Savior and who need encouragement and love. But Father, help us to understand that it's going to come as all of us humble ourselves before you and acknowledge our sin. And by the help and strength of the Spirit of God, allow you to give us victory even over our own personal sins. Lord, I pray that your Spirit will speak in these moments ahead. Lord, I don't know where anybody's at with you except me. And I know, Lord, that in many, many, many ways I need revival. So I pray, Father, that you'll bring it. And we would humble ourselves, we would pray, we'd seek your face, and we'll turn from our wicked ways. For we ask in Christ's name, amen.